Judges 16 this morning, Judges chapter 16. Thank you, men, for that. That was great. I so look forward to the music and just the whole atmosphere and the service. And, and I appreciate the fact that even in this chapel hour, uh, time is a little bit more uh, constrained, but we're not cutting corners as far as quality and the music and the singing, the congregational singing is just great. And uh, you act, uh, sounded like and acted like you had some coffee this morning, and that's a, that's a good thing. And uh, I'm glad it warmed up some, and uh, it, I heard it was kind of cold last week. And how many of you are from the colder states? Would you raise your hand? So it doesn't bother you at all, does it? And you just, you're so used to dried out, brittle, and, uh, and you bump into somebody and they just crack. You just, um, but anybody from the south? Anywhere, oh, okay, grits and uh, um, sausage and egg, gravy, biscuits and all that. Waffle House, does that sound familiar? All right. Waffle House is my wife's favorite restaurant. It doesn't take much to please her and satisfy her, find a Waffle House. And she's asked me if she could apply there so she can just work there occasionally. Anyone ever been to a Waffle House? And uh, you got about six workers behind the counter and three teeth, and that's about what you have to have to work there. But it is great food. I'm not going to uh, minimize that, that aspect of it. But she wants to work there so she can yell at the cook. You know, they take your order. The waitress takes your order, and they, she calls you honey or sweetheart. And uh, you think you've known each other forever. And, uh, and then she yells it to the cook, and uh, he gets that order down, and they cook it. And it's, it's great. You just don't look around much, you know, look to see how clean the place is, and, uh, but uh, that's, that's in the south. And, but I'm glad to be up here, and I tell you what makes this so, uh, regardless of the weather, and that's the way it is in the Victory Conference time frame, it's going to be cold. It's the only conference I know of in America where you have to pray for the power of God uh, to work in hearts and to keep away the storm, and, uh, but it's a, it's a great dynamic, but it's so warm because of what God's doing on the inside, and that's a great blessing. And uh, I'd much rather be in a place where uh, it's, it's maybe it does, it's not the beach, and you don't have the, the tropical weather, but we have the move of God, and, uh, and you shouldn't trade that for anything. And, and I, I, I thank the Lord for what He's been doing, because I benefit from so much of what God has done and is doing and wants to continue doing here. And uh, it's a great time uh, in which we can have uh, the kind of education you're having and experience the kind of um, leadership within your life. It's a great, great opportunity, great time. You look around and see our country is just people are wondering what's happening, what's going to happen. And you may wonder the same thing. And so it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to know the things we can know. And uh, there's a lot of things we can know. First John tells us we can know that we have eternal life. We can know that God answers prayer. We can know that our sins are forgiven. And that alone, just those three things can really transform um, our living uh, daily and interaction with other people. Well, this morning I want us to look at uh, a concept through a familiar character. His name is Samson. In Judges chapter number 16, and let's stand together as we read uh, these verses this morning. Judges 
after Samson had taken the bait, the temptation, yielded, was captured, was um, made a, a laughing stock for the cause of God, Jehovah God, and the Philistines have him. In verse 21, they took him, put his eyes out, brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, which is Dagon. For they said, Our God with the little g, hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for Samson out of the prison house, and he made them sport, and they set him between the pillars." And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may fill the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about three thousand men and women, and beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. The title of the book from which we find the life of Samson is the book of Judges. Judges simply refers to the responsibility of those who are called and raised up by God to deliver His people over a 400 year period of time. The responsibility of a judge was actually that of a deliverer. A judge was a deliverer. A judge was to deliver the people of God. And Samson is this last and final great deliverer judge. Listen, if you're of the male gender in this room, you're designed by God to be a deliverer. God wants you to be a deliverer within a home someday. God wants you to be able to deliver your family and lead in such a way as to provide deliverance. If you're saved this morning, a child of God, God wants you to be a deliverer. He wants you to carry forth the message of deliverance. If God has called you to the special uh, forces of, of proclaiming the good news and serving God in a full-time capacity as a preacher of the gospel, God has called you to be a deliverer. And here we find this final great deliverer in chapter 16. We come now to the last 
event in Samson's life where the curtain still remains open by God for all to see. And we find one of the greatest deliverers who himself is in need of being delivered. The greatest one physically to walk upon this earth is now in a place where nobody, no one can help him. Listen, young person, there's times in your life, maybe you've experienced already. If not, you will experience that when hope is almost gone, God still has help. When hope is almost gone, help is still on the way. If we're ever going to be the kind of deliverer that God would have for this generation, for your someday family, for those around you, then it's going to require that you and I experience and know experientially deliverance in our own life. I want us to look this morning at a simple message on the dynamics of Bible deliverance. The dynamics of Bible deliverance. Thank you. Please be seated. Samson had an incredible beginning. His birth was announced by an angel. God was in the call of Samson. Samson's life didn't necessarily follow the same type of promise. And we find Samson being a man that was leaning to his own passion, a man that was living... Uh, with that which was convenient and comfortable and pleasing to him. And and Samson's become a great illustration of, of what not to do and what to avoid. But we do find Samson at least coming to the final moments of his life seemingly ending the right way. And I've thought before as I read through this of the times in my life where I am about to preach or I'm about to engage in some kind of ministry that I knew this was, this was far greater than what I could do. There are things that I can do. There are certain things that, that I'm able to do just with my limited resources. And then I knew there were times where I can't do this and, and I need God's help. And, and I would apply certain dynamics and, uh, of spiritual uh, uh, exercise of faith in God. And God honors those who would honor Him by trusting Him. And I would find, hey, God came through. God blessed. And you've been here, maybe uh, some of you, for uh, half a semester. And, and if you've been here that long, you've experienced God doing the same thing in your life. And those of you who've been here for several years and two and three and four, maybe some of you five and six years, you perhaps have experienced God doing some great things through ministry in your life as you yield to Him. But here's something that tends to happen. We seek God fervently when we need Him desperately. But then there are times where... I don't have to witness today, and I don't have to preach today, and I don't have to sing today, and I don't have to minister today, and you just kind of go on vacation. Maybe that happened when you went home on Christmas vacation. 
Maybe some of you thought, I can't wait to get back to school so I can feel that pressure of what it's like to preach. And, and when you feel that pressure to preach, well, you feel that pressure to get close to God. And I thought, you know, there's some things that are maybe pragmatic and not all pragmatism is wrong. And I thought before, you know, going soul winning is good, not just to see the gospel work and people saved, but... Sometimes just going soul winning, going out and knocking on doors, even when it's not scheduled or demanded, can be healthy because there have been many a times I got right with the Lord standing on a doorstep. You know, I knocked on the door, rang the doorbell, whatever it was, I, it dawned on me, they're not going to care on the other side where I got my college degree or how many hours I took or how much Greek I, I took. They're not going to care. They're not going to care how many messages I've preached. None of that's going to matter. And it kind of dawned on me, God, I need you. I, I, I need some help. I need some deliverance right now. But those times when we're not engaged in ministry, we find ourselves sometimes like Samson. Now, I can handle it. Not a big deal. Don't have to turn in anything today and I don't have to read as much. I don't have to quite do the, the whole hour with God. I don't have to, you know, I, it's not so bad. There's, there's nothing is going to come out of this that's of severe consequence. The fact of the matter is, what we're finding in Samson's life is, is a result of taking it easy. I'm thankful for the times of rest and respite that God gives. But there's a danger in taking time away from God and placing confidence in self. As we witness the disgraceful life of Samson, what we find is the devastating results, the, the tragic effects of sin. And sin, listen, and sin always results in, in captivating us and, and blinding us and, and, and enslaving us. And that's where we find Samson. He, he, he played with it and he played with it. I can handle it. I can handle it. And I can handle it. And sin, when it is finished, it always results in death. Always results in death. And we find Samson, it's about as bleak and dark and, and hopeless as it could possibly be. And Samson is experiencing the result of his own doing. From a sheer human perspective, Samson is beyond help or hope. You know, someone allows Samson to come into the office and, and um, if Samson were to go in and sit down and say, here's my situation, few perhaps would say, Samson, I don't know what to tell you. There's not a whole lot that we can offer you. Notice again in verse 23, what was Samson's uh, testimony. Well, he was causing the enemy of God to sing praises unto Dagon, their God. Wouldn't it be tragic that your testimony would cause the unsaved that you grew up with and the unsaved around here to, to stay unsaved? And that's what they're looking at. They're saying Samson is vindication that we've chosen the right path of not believing in Jehovah God. Samson was their motivation to stay devoted to a false God. Samson, verse 25, was ridiculed and the focus of wicked idolatry. Few then, few today would ever give Samson any possibility of recovery. 
However, once again, when Samson appears to be the most hopeless, he's actually as close as he ever was to God. The fact is, we're always one decision away from destruction. Just one decision. And we're one decision away from deliverance. Just a decision. Samson did find deliverance. He did find blessing. He did find recovery. As a result of the last remaining uh, moments in his life, and we find in these verses that Samson made some decisions that allowed him to be in the great honorable chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 because of his exercise of faith in God. But remember, what he experienced in his death, we could, exp- we could apply and experience in our daily life. Yeah, I want to die right, but I would prefer to live right. It's a better recipe to dying right. Notice why. Why was it that Samson all of a sudden he got it together? And why is Samson moved, I believe, then to the great chapter of Hebrews 11? Well, in verse 28 it says, And Samson called unto the Lord. Samson called unto the Lord. You know what this tells me? It tells me that Samson had confidence in the character of God to deliver him. If we're ever going to have within us the message of hope, of deliverance for someone else, we must have the confidence and the character of our God to deliver us. He saw the Lord as a deliverer. He saw it was not okay to lean into his own understanding. He saw it was not okay to stay independent of God. Psalm 18 and verse 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Psalm 34 and verse 6, this poor man cried, And the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. Daniel 3 and verse 17. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 13, the disciples ought to pray this way. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Remember Paul said in Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And he knew the answer. He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us in this or from this present world. Colossians 1.13. Who, that is God, hath delivered us from the power of darkness. 2 Peter 2.9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. See, it is the very nature of God to deliver. It is God's nature. Take your Bible and go back a few pages to Judges chapter 10. What Samson had to know. What Samson had to recall. What was it that he knew about God that he had confidence in? Notice in Judges 10 and verse 10. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. See, there is a connection to this matter of calling unto the Lord. But you don't cry unto the Lord. You don't call unto the Lord. You don't dial 911 unless you're seeing this is pretty desperate and here is something that is out of my hands or out of my control. In Judges 10 and verse 10, 
And they cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God and also served Balaam. That's pretty honest. Notice the Lord's response in verse 11. The Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines, the Sidonians and the Amalekites, the Mayanites, and you cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand. Yet ye have forsaken me, served other gods. Wherefore I will deliver you. What's the next two words? No more. God is saying, haven't we been here before? Didn't you come to me last revival meeting? Didn't you come to me the last spiritual awakening conference? Didn't you come to me the last time? You, you, you expressed this. Haven't we heard this before? And, and, and God even laid it out. Don't you remember? And God says, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I'm, not, I'm not going through these motions with you anymore. And uh, in verse 14, God says, Why don't you go and cry unto the gods which you've chosen and let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. If this is where your heart is, this is what you're pursuing, and this is what you're going to keep going back to, then why don't you just be consistent and stick with that? Verse 15, And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned. Do thou unto us whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Deliver us only, we pray thee this day. And they put away the strange gods among them and served the Lord. And his God's soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. Why? Because it is the nature of God to deliver. And Samson had confidence in God that he truly would deliver. Our God is a merciful God. Our God is a gracious God. And the fact is, the one who humbles himself before God and seeks forgiveness and seeks the blessing of God will always get it. Our God is merciful. Our God is gracious. Tis the grandest thing through the ages rung. Tis the grandest thing for a mortal tongue. Tis the grandest thing that the world e'er sung. Our God is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. He is able to deliver thee. Though by sin oppressed, go to Him for rest. Our God is able to deliver thee. Oh, but there's a problem. There are two extreme and errant views concerning the matter of this, this concept of deliverance. One view is, I'm too bad. Too far gone. Sometimes we find encouragement when we find somebody else who is struggling with what we've been struggling with. And sometimes we find even more encouragement, though we wouldn't express it, but we find more encouragement when somebody else is struggling with something more than we do. At least we're thinking, hey, I'm not that bad. And sometimes we think, well, maybe there is hope for me. But there is a view sometimes for those who think I'm too far gone. I'm too deep in this. I don't know anybody who's as involved in this sin and as trapped as I am. Too bad. There are those who have yet to get saved because they think they're too far gone. And there are Christians who are yet to experience true deliverance because they think, I am too bad. 
The fact is, we're always in need of deliverance. And it's not how bad you are, it's how great of a delivering God we have. The second wrong view is, I don't need deliverance because I'm too good. I'm okay. You know the story of the prodigal son. You know the story of the older brother. Which one needed revival? The answer is both of them did. Who in here needs deliverance? Both of us. The one who thinks he's too bad and the one who thinks he's too good. The one who thinks, I know this is a problem. I don't know how it can ever be fixed. Yes, you need deliverance. But also the one who says, I think I'm okay. That's why it's, it's dangerous to ever get to a point where you say, my checklist is all checked off. I don't see anything else. I don't know anything else. Listen, if the Lord Jesus looked to His heavenly Father for deliverance in His life, then how can we ever get to a point in time in any day of our life where we see, I don't really need the deliverance of the Lord. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. The fact is when we fail to embrace our Deliverer, we fail to embrace the Delivering God, we find ourselves, we will find ourselves, just like Samson, we will find ourselves shaved and saddened and sorry. There is still a Deliverer. And what I want us to see this morning is that Samson prays a short prayer. This very short prayer, however, speaks volumes about Himself, but it speaks volumes about our God. And I want us to examine in these few moments this cry of Samson in order that we might learn the lessons for victory and move on to recovery. Again, what Samson experienced in his death, I believe God wants us to apply in our daily life. What is it about his confidence in God to deliver? What is it about this delivering God Did Samson, once he understood, once he came to grips with, what was it about Samson that allowed him to exercise faith in God? And what was the, the application of his faith in God in the midst of his severe trial? We'll look at it in verse 24. When Samson called unto the delivering Lord that he recalled, notice what the Bible says. He said, O Lord God, remember me. O Lord God, remember me. You know what I call this when I, when I see Samson crying out to the Lord? Samson, nobody can help. Nobody. He was the deliverer for the people. No one could deliver him. No one, could, no one had pity on him in, in this passage. No one seemed to say, not even the enemies of God took pity on him. In fact, they enjoyed more and more to see him uh, uh, just completely humbled and humiliated. No one could help him. But Samson remembered, oh, Oh, there is a God who has promised to deliver me. And he says this to God. Oh, Lord God, remember me. It's, number one, an attitude of repentance. An attitude of repentance. It's been said that when the O's and the ahs come back into the prayers of God's people, the Lord is already at work. He says, oh, Lord God, remember me. Why is it an attitude of repentance? Well, 
Remember in chapter 16 what's happening? He's flirting. He's in a place where he should never have been with a person whom he should never have been with. And he's flirting because he has already yielded to temptation over and over again. And he's got it. But the fact is, he didn't have it way before, but he thinks he does. And so we find him in a place where he is just doing what Samson wants to do. And now he's crying, Oh Lord God, remember me. He didn't want God to remember him earlier in the chapter. If he wanted God to remember him earlier in the chapter, he would not be in the situation he's in at the end of the chapter. But what he's experiencing is the attitude of repentance. He's changed his mind. He is now once again reconnecting. He's saying, it's not okay, God, that I leave you out of the equation. We look down through the, the, the passage and, and we see Samson, what is he doing? He's taking one nibble of the bait after another. He just keeps nibbling at this bait. And those of you who hunt and fish, you understand this concept of camouflaging and hiding the bait and, and trying to uh, not be uh, found and so that you could harvest that which you're hunting and the devil's been at it a whole lot more. I'm con- I believe this is not just a, a, a statement, but I believe with all my heart the devil knows more theology and is better acquainted with theology than us. And he knows how to package. He knows how to to lay out his trap of deceit. And he's laying out the bait. And he's putting it out there. He's a master at this. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking... Every time we're going through here and, and, and Delilah's coming back to Samson and Samson is toying with her. At the same time, Satan is working through her, toying with him. And I'm saying to my Samson, myself, Samson, you're, 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 you're buying into this. Look at where you are. You did it yourself. You clicked that internet site. You went to that website. You were messing around in that room. You were doing this when no one else was around. Look at it. And I'm saying to myself, you idiot. But that's all of us. That's all of us whenever we are not living in the mindset and the realm and reality of, oh God, remember me. I need you. I'm not preaching today. I'm not singing today. I'm not doing anything that I know of. But what I don't know, I'm aware you know. And if all I need to do is to seek your help to help me to listen today. Oh, Lord God, remember me. An attitude of repentance. How many nibbles of porn, pornography, fornication, impurity did you click on this Christmas break? I'm convinced we are not helped by the smartphone. I have said I'd much rather go to a stone tablet and carve it out with a hammer and chisel, whatever we need to put down, than to mess with the results 
of what so many a man is struggling with today because he forgot to cry out, Oh Lord God, remember me. Too often we want God to remember us in getting right, but we don't want God to remember us when the temptation comes around. I've, I've got an iPhone, but I don't have the internet. I don't even have email. And some of that is not because of the sin of email. It's just because I've recognized being busy is not my problem. I used to say, I'm just too busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I don't think busyness is really the problem. It's just being distracted. Uh, we, we benefit from many of the books and the things that have been written by men who were busy, but they just knew how to deal with distractions. And I think if we're not careful, the distractions are going to help get you down on that slippery slope of yielding to some temptation. Because of being busy, you fail to say, Oh Lord God, remember me. An attitude of repentance, number one. A second dynamic we see in this prayer of Samson when he recognized that his God could deliver him in his death, if we would apply in our life, he said, Oh Lord God, remember me. And then he said, I pray thee and strengthen me. Strengthen me. Not only was there an attitude of repentance... In this matter of repentance, we understand, I didn't mention, but I think we all understand it's, it's an agreeing with God. It's a changing of our mind. And, and Samson was saying, first of all, God, I agree with you. I wasn't agreeing with you earlier on whenever I strayed away and went into my own understanding and followed my own lust and cultivated, nurtured lust within my heart. But I agree with you now. But number two, when he says, strengthen me, what I believe he's simply saying is this, God, I can't do it. I'm in a mess and I can't do it. The fact is, he couldn't do it on his own before. And had he agreed with God, oh Lord God, remember me earlier in the chapter, he would not be having to get right. I'm thankful we can get right. But here he's saying, Lord, I'm in this mess. I'm in a position and I admit now, I should have admitted earlier, but I do fully admit I can't do it. I can't do it. Too many Christians know only of a deliverance from hell, the penalty of sin. But we don't recognize as often as we should the deliverance from the power of sin and coming to the point of saying, I can't do it. The irony is this. To me, Samson, what is the one characteristic that stands out in our mind about this man, Samson? What was it? Strength. And what is the strongest man who walked upon the earth saying? I need strength. God, I can't do it. Moses, the meekest man, we are told, where did he blow it? In the area of his strength. And the danger of leaning into your own abilities and I can handle this. I'm good at counseling. I'm good at talking. I'm good at, 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 at some particular instrument. I'm good at, at my speech. I'm good at these areas. The danger is many times the devil can take us in the area of our strength. 
Why? Because you understand. It's not what you don't know that's the problem. It's what we're not experiencing. And you, we know this. Without God, we can do nothing. But if we're not living daily in the mindset, oh, oh God, remember me. I'm agreeing with you. You're right about this. Because God, I can't do it. If we were to ask you to come up and play a piece, I can do it. But there has to be this internalizing of the reality, I can't. If Samson, the strongest man, if he blew it in the area of his morals, what makes you think that you're exempt from this fight? If David, the man after God's own heart, blew it in the arena of his morals, what makes you think you don't have to apply diligence in seeking the strength and the supernatural enabling of God? If Solomon, the smartest man, if he too blew it in his carelessness of his moral purity, then what makes you think you do not have to be aggressive in fighting? Peter, where did Peter blow it? I believe one of Peter's great strengths is that he was very sincere. He was an all-in kind of a guy. He wasn't a neutral guy. He was all-in. But where the devil got him was in that area of his great resolve. The preacher says, we need help. Peter was saying, I'm right there. I don't know where everybody else is, but I'm right there. And the devil got him. Why? Because it was Peter's strength. If we're going to live the supernatural, victorious life, then it's going to take us applying in our daily life what Samson experienced in his death. Number one, God, I agree with you. An attitude of repentance. Number two, I can't do it. Number three, notice in verse 28, he says, I pray thee, middle of the verse, only this once, O God, uh, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. Now there's a lot of speculation about several things about Samson. And, and you read some commentators and they don't, think that, they don't think a whole lot of Samson here at the end. But I, I, I don't necessarily see quite the selfishness that some would uh, portray of Samson. I believe when he says, avenge me of the Philistines for my two eyes, I believe he's saying, now the Philistines did take Samson's eyes, but God allowed it because of Samson's choice. His eyes were what was causing him the trouble. He was looking towards Timnath and, and Philistia. His eyes were causing him trouble. And Samson asked God to take vengeance out on the Philistines for doing what God allowed them to do. And what Samson was experiencing was the result of his own doing. He lost his eyes. Although he lost his eyes, he knew that God was still able to intervene. And when he said, God, avenge me, I believe what he's saying is this. Lord, you can do it. While he said, God, I agree with you, number one. He says, number two, I can't do it. Strengthen me. He's saying, avenge me because he's saying, Lord, you can do it. When God's called you to ministry, he's not calling you to ministry because he can't do it, because he thinks you can do it. He's calling you to ministry because he knows you can't do it, and he's looking for someone who will allow him to do it through them. And Samson is saying, God... I know you can do it. I love what A.W. Tozer said. Tozer said, this is my philosophy. Are you awake? 
That's not what he said. just want to make sure before I read it to you because it's really good. Tozer said, everything is wrong until God sets it right. That's good. You know, ministry is pretty much wrong. We can get all the, the, the things, you can get all the methodologies down, but ministry is wrong until God sets it right. We need God to do it. God, you can do it. And that's what Samson is saying. Samson said, God, I agree with you. I know you're delivering God. God, I know that I've blown Him. And the fact is, I'm calling on you to deliver. I know I can't do it. But Lord, you can. Wouldn't it be life-changing this semester if you get into a situation and you say, Lord, I am agreeing with you. Whatever the principles might be, God, I'm in agreement with you. I'm not going to be independent of you. And I'm, I'm acknowledging the fact I can't do this. It's not a false humility to say, I can't do it. it. It is recognizing that which is true. I can. I can. And God will help us to experientially know at times, I can't. But he's saying, God, you can. I want to see, God, you do this through me. You know, one of the great blessings of Baptist College of Ministry is not only to get the Baptist polity down, such a great opportunity. By the way, you understand that as a Baptist, we're not just another denomination. You know, Presbyterian, Methodist, and people say, ah, it's just a denomination. Well, those are, but Baptist is not a denomination. It's a, it's a position of Bible principles. We were believing Bible truth. To say we believe the Bible is not a denomination. You, you, you veer from this, you might enter into to a denomination. But Baptist College of Ministry, this matter of ministry is not you doing it. It's you recognizing, Lord, I can't, you can, and allow Him to do that through you. And to be able to see God do with, for, through, in you right here, right now, is some of the greatest privileges of a student here. You don't wait till you get out. Oh, I can't wait till I get out so I can do ministry. If you wait till you get out to do ministry, you're not in. You should be sick. God wants to deliver today. That's why God allowed David with the lion and a bear because he could have never helped and delivered a nation with Goliath had there not been the lion and the bear. And some of you, you've not been ready for the lion and the bear. Oswald Chambers said, faith is Unutterable trust in God. Trust that never dreams that He will not stand by us. The last dynamic. Notice in verse 30. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And don't. Forget that Samson too died. But he said, let me die with the Philistines. Not only did he say, Lord, remember me. Oh, Lord, remember me. An attitude of repentance. I agree with you. He said, God, strengthen me. Why? Because he couldn't do it. And then he said, God, avenge me. And I believe he's simply saying, Lord, I can't, but you can do it. You get in on the scene. You intervene. You work in this terrible, horrific situation. You do, God, that which I thought I would was able to do. But then number four, he says, let me die with the Philistines. Now some would say he's committing suicide. I don't believe that's what he's doing. When he says, let me die with the Philistines, what he's saying is this, God, today, this is the way I should have been living. 
Well, I can't change the past today. I'm all in. I'm all in. Total abandonment. You know why you're not seeing the delivering work at times through your life? Maybe because you're not seeing the deliverance within your life. Because you've said the right phrases, God, I, I confess, I'm wanting to get right, forgive me, I acknowledge, I agree with you. Maybe you've said the phrase, Lord, I can't do it, and you've said, but God, you can. But there's one missing ingredient. Total abandonment. And if there's anything that Samson is saying to us, it's this. I'm all in. It may cost me my life, but there's no better place to be than being all in with him. Think about the missionaries of yesteryear. They didn't buy the round trip tickets. When they said goodbye, they didn't know of what a furlough might be. They were all in. Now there's a lot of popularity about missions. It's the romance of it in the wrong way. I get to travel from place to place and show some slides and preach a message and get some money. That's a far cry difference of an attitude of the fact that I want to be all in. I had a couple tell me, Preacher, we're retired. We think a great way to live our retirement years is to serve God. And I said, well, of course. He said, I think we'll go into a helps ministry. We can just travel around. We don't have to be bogged down one place. And we can just help out people here and there. And while there were some good things that came out of that sound, I thought, why don't you just hunker down here and be good and faithful? I think there's a great need for evangelists today. But there's a great detriment in the romance of evangelism. I just want to travel. I just want to be able to go in, preach a few messages, and straighten people out. I tell you what we need. Just be all in. God knows where you need to be. God knows when you need to be there. All in. What if? That's not your business. But what about? That's not your business. All in? That's your business. Remember John McCain telling of the soldier he was detained with while in prison as a prisoner of war, and his name was Mike Christian. McCain said that Mike Christian, too, was a naval officer who had been shot down and captured in 1967. One day they had a package that had been shoved into their holding cell with American postage on it, and it brought great delight to them as they saw American postage stamp on this package. They rushed to it, opened it up, and they found within this package simply red and white handkerchiefs and scars. Well, they're... Uniforms were blue-issued uniforms, and so Mike Christian, 
He found himself a bamboo needle and crawled underneath a solitary light bulb that was hanging and he took that crude bamboo needle and he sewed within sight of his blue-issued uniform shirt a, an American flag. McCain said every afternoon before we would have our bowl of soup, Mike, he would hang his shirt on the wall of the cell and, and he would simply give the command, say it. And they would recite the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag. On one occasion, the Vietnamese searched their cell without warning and they discovered Mike Christian's shirt with the flag sewn on the inside of it. They removed him and they took Mike, dragged him out, and for the benefit of others, they unmercifully beat and they beat and they beat Mike Christian. After several hours of beating, They drug him back and threw him in that cell unconscious. And there he laid on the floor after being given another blue-issued shirt. He was unconscious, his eyes swollen, teeth missing. McCain said they tried to clean him up as well as they could, but they didn't know if he was going to make it through the night. John McCain said somewhere, I'm not sure when, but Mike Christian awoke. Somewhere he found another needle and he found some more red and white scarves and rags and he began to sew within his shirt once again another American flag. His eyes were still swollen. He was still profusely in pain because of the beating. But as others began to awake, Mike Christian could hear them waking up. McCain said all they could hear him say was, Say it, say it, and say it. And I've thought on occasion, here I've tried the best that I could to to give God my all and to serve Him with all my might. But the fact is, we can read testimonies and hear men and women like this who have given their all to serve a country and to serve a flag that can never repay their service. And what we do for Jesus Christ, we try to barter. We try to be so stingy. Look at all that I've done. Look at what I'm giving. Isn't it enough? Well, you answer the question. Are you all in? Because if it's not all in, then it's not enough. You want to experience deliverance on a daily basis? you're going to have to get to a point of agreeing with God. You're going to have to get beyond being sideways about whatever has happened. Oh Lord God, remember me. You're going to have to cry out for the fact that you can't do it and allow Him to help you know it on the inside. And number three, and to plead for Him to demonstrate in your life daily, while I can't, God, you can. But number four, it requires that you be all in. Would you bow with me, please?